Good morning, Impact City. Good morning. You glad to be here? All right. I hope you are. It's so good to see you. I hope you had a wonderful spring break. For those of you that had spring break, if not, um, we're just glad that we are blessed with another Sunday. Amen. Why don't you take your seats? It really is my privilege to welcome you uh, on this Sunday morning as we continue our series, Impact Now. Um, I'm excited to share today's message that I have titled, Seeing How Jesus Sees. And I have a few scriptures that we're going to go through as we outline this today. Are you ready? All right. I got about fourth of y'all with me. Impact now. We've been talking about fulfill, uh, having that fulfillment that, that only comes from God to be able to see somebody else. Um, see God the way we have seen him and the way we have experienced him. Um, when, when the psalmist says, oh, taste and see that the, the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Uh, he is actually making an invitation to us. He's making an invitation and he's not just saying, just don't see it. Um, just don't look at it, but experience it for yourself. Amen. It's one thing to look at an incredible dish, um, but it's another thing to taste it. And the church said, amen. <laughs> but that, that is what the invitation uh, that is extended to us. So in tasting and seeing that he is good, we are then able to share that with others. We're able to share that with others and let our light shine and, and be the salt that he has called us to be. Um, and, and more than that, I, I'm, as I'm trying to encourage you and trying to build you up in sharing Jesus and being able to see the fruits that that actually brings in our own personal lives, more than that, um, it, it is what Jesus called us to do. It is what Jesus called us to do. He had a mission here on earth when he uh, ministered for three and a half years here on earth. Um, it was to attend to those that were in need. But when he left, he commissioned us. He commissioned us, and it's called the Great Commission. So it, we get to co-work with him in the mission uh, that we would have our lives changed, amen, but that we would help others have their lives changed and that the change that Jesus has made in our lives that Jesus would be able to make in theirs as well. Uh, because the truth is that we have this very short window of time here on earth, uh, what Moses said, 70, 70 years plus or minus, um, that we would make our time here on earth count, that when this life is over, that we would be able to get promoted to eternity and spend our eternity with Jesus, and that we would take as many people with us to heaven, amen? That we would be able to take as many people with us to heaven. Out of the seven plus billion people that live here on planet Earth, uh, only about 2.6%, 2.6 billion uh, claim to be Christians. That means that over 5 billion people on this earth do not know Christ. That, we, that our lives would 
be able to change those around us and impact those in Jesus' name. So I want to start by showing off, uh, showing uh, you through scripture where this great commission is is uh, found. It's found in, in the, the Gospels. And if you know, if you've studied the Bible, you'll know that the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is the same story, but just given from a different vantage point, from a different account. So I want to show you, therefore, uh, these four um, instances where Jesus is talking on the Great Commission. Then I'm going to show you in the first book of the New Testament, the book of Acts. This is in the Version app if you'd like to follow along. Um, so Matthew 28, 19... Uh, through 20, 19 and 20 says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. How many are grateful for that promise that He is with us always? As we work to change people uh, through, the, through the power of Christ, as we, as we work to share should I say, the changing power of Christ. Um, he is with us always. Mark 16, 15 says it this way. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Luke uh, put it this way, 24, 47. With my authority, take this message of repentance to all nations, to all nations. But notice where it starts, beginning in Jerusalem, beginning where you live, beginning in your circle, um, there is forgiveness of sins for all who turn to me. It's an incredible offer that's still available. And John put it this way in John 20, 21. As the Father has sent me, he said, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of of the earth. So understanding the scriptures, we, we can piece together that we are on a mission. Amen. We are on a mission. That's why we gather on Sunday. It's not just to gather here and let that be it, but we gather here to, to come together with other believers, to be fed, and then to be able to go and reach a, a world that needs Jesus, to do what Jesus has called us to do. And that's why we have a number of activities that are designed for this. That's why we have serve days. We have serve day coming up this coming Saturday. That's why we have outreach activities so that people could know Christ through us, through these activities, while they may not be so apt to come in through those doors right away, that they would know that we're willing to come out to them. Amen. That we are willing to come out to them and make a difference in Jesus' name. We're on assignment. We are on assignment to plunder hell and to populate heaven. And we will do it together with God's help. So today I want to give you one simple thought. And I want to apologize uh, ahead of time if this is very simple or for the simplicity of it. But, but I believe it is a thought that can change our lives and that can add value to, to our everyday living. And it's not a complicated thought. It's not something that, you, uh, that is going to overwhelm you by any means, but it can be something that we have overlooked uh, from time to time. And it's this, it's this, we cannot reach what we cannot see. We cannot reach what we cannot see. Because let's be honest, sometimes it's easier to look the other way. Sometimes it's easier to look the other way because once we see it, we own it. Once we see it, 
part of us is responsible in helping the situation. You've probably experienced this in your life, and if in no other point you've experienced it in traffic. When you're, when you're trying to change lanes, or someone's trying to change lanes, and you're just like, don't look. And have you ever tried to be getting into a lane and they won't even look at you? They won't look at you because if they look at you, you may make a face and they'll see you and they'll let you in. So it's, sometimes it's easier and you know you're sitting there with your wife and kids. Don't, don't look that way. Don't look. We're just going to keep going. We're not going to let them in. Because once we see it or once they see us, whatever the, the situation may be, uh, it changes. So we cannot change what we cannot see. What are we overlooking in our surroundings? What are we looking, overlooking in our lives? And I want to ask the question, are there people that we're not seeing? I'd like to ask the question in this way. Are there people that we are not looking at? Because looking at it would cause us to, to do something, to, to be compelled, to have that, that desire to, to help. So I want to share a story that that coincides with with this uh, from the book of John. And and you may have heard this story. Jesus tells his disciples uh, on one occasion, he's on a mission, he's healing, he he is providing, he is doing incredible works. And he tells his disciples, I must go through Samaria. He confused his closest followers. Jesus, we understand through the scripture in John chapter 4 that Jesus is thirsty and uh, but also, when, when you look at the context of what it was, is uh, Samar- Samaria was a place that was just avoided at all costs. It was a place that you would not want to go to. Th- there were a couple of issues that presented themselves in this, in this moment and in this context. And the first was that Jews and the Samaritans, they didn't get along. There was, there was a racial tensions, and there was, uh, there was these conflicts that, that just, the barriers that just stood in the way. So there was no conversation. They, they wouldn't look at each other. They wouldn't talk. So when, when Jesus says, I must go through Samaria, there, there was some confusion initially. Uh, but they didn't know what was taking place. So here you have racial barriers, and here you have uh, not only that, you have gender barriers. You have gender barriers that take place because Jesus is going to find uh, one woman that, that I'm going to tell you about here in just a little bit. But, but Jesus comes and he breaks the racial barriers. Jesus comes and he breaks the gender barriers just like that. Amen. How, how many know that where, where there are barriers, we serve a God that is greater? We serve a God that is greater. What does this look like? Because there may be barriers that stand in the way of something that you are facing here today. But I want to tell you that Jesus can show up and he can tear down that barrier and he can change the situation. So here you have these two barriers that stand in the way. But here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus. It didn't matter that Jews and Samaritans didn't talk. It didn't matter that men in that time didn't really talk to women, didn't converse. Here comes Jesus. He, he is about to change the situation. So there is this woman that, that is standing there at the well. By the time Jesus had met 
her. She was on the first century version of a downward spiral, five ex-husbands and half dozen kids. Decades of loose living had left her tattooed, had left her tabooed, living with a boyfriend who thought a wedding was a waste of time. People loved talking about her. Other women would go to this well, the Jacob's well, and fill their buckets of water at dawn. But this woman opted to go at midday in the heat of the day because she preferred the warmth of the sun opposed to the heat of the scorns that she would have received. If he, if, if, if Jesus hadn't appeared, if, if, if it weren't for the appearance of this incredible man, her story would have just been lost in the Samaritan sands. But, but here comes Jesus. But Jesus entered her life with a promise of infinite water and with a promise to quench her thirst. He, he, he says, if you asked of me, you, you would drink and you would never thirst again. If you would know one script, one translation says the generosity of God, you would never, you would never thirst again. She had been looking for, fulfill, for fulfillment in all the wrong places. But what I love about this story is that Jesus was not discouraged by her past. No, quite the opposite. He offered to make something out of the mess that she had gone through all her life. He offered to make something great in her life. And she accepted this offer. Nobody else gave her a chance but Jesus gave her the opportunity of a lifetime. He came for people like her. He came for people like me. He came for people like you. He came to let us know that, that we're not too far gone, that, that nobody has gone through too much, that you're unreachable, that if Jesus could come to this well and just wait on this woman, that, that some of us in this place know the feeling that he's waiting on us. He, he is so good that, that he is so good that he is here today to remind you that, that while we have been looking for happiness in maybe in a relationship, in a career, in, in our money, that we have, and we have been unfulfilled and we have been left empty, that today that we serve a God that, that says, you know what, I'm still waiting on you. I, I can still take the desperation out of your life and I can give you water that, that will quench your soul. That, that is why we are here today because there is a God in heaven that loves us so much that that is willing to see that is willing to see our mess and say give me your mess and I'll give me your cloak of heaviness and I'll give you a garment of praise give me your ashes and I'll give you beauty give me your horrible mistakes and I'll give you forgiveness and grace I don't know anybody in this world that can make that kind of offer but there is someone that loves us so much and if I could just capture this this morning and if you could just capture this this morning, that you are that important to him, that he loves you that much, that it doesn't matter what your concept has been and what your concept of relationships have been, that, that, that God can change the barriers that stand in the way today. He loves you with a ridiculous love. I'm glad he doesn't just see what I've been, but I'm glad that he sees what I'm becoming also. I'm glad he doesn't, 
He's not turned off by my past because he knows everything about me and everything about you. But he says, come. Come to me if you're heavy burdened, if you're laden. He says, I'll give you rest. In John chapter 4, verse 27, this is, this is all taking place. And just then, the Bible says, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a, women, with a woman. As I told you, there were some, some barriers there. But no one asked. Look at this. No one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Nobody bothered to ask these questions. No one did that. They mentioned two things that never happened, which leads us to understand that, that later somebody asked the question. So these men are the ones that are closest to Jesus, but yet they're not seeing what he's seeing. The Bible says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back after he made this offer to her, went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I did. Isn't this incredible? This woman that is avoiding people at all costs, going to draw water and the heat of the day is now running into the city. Isn't it incredible the change that Jesus can make in our lives in one instance? He told me everything I ever did. And then she asked the question, could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and, and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So all of Samaria is coming to see Jesus. And, and, and this is happening right before the disciples' eyes. And he tells them, I can't go. I can't go eat. He goes, I, I my food. He is, he is making the comparison, the analogy. He's saying, I got work to do. I have work to do. My food, said Jesus. Then they, I'm sorry, then they said to each other, could someone has, has brought him, have brought him food? See, the disciples are just missing. And the question that I'd like to pose this morning is if the disciples missed it, could we miss it? If the disciples missed it, could we miss it? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? Jesus then diagnoses the problem and he understands and he tells them. He says, you don't see what I see. Jesus is ministering. Jesus is working right here. He is operating. He is attending the need. And he says, you don't see what I see. Because he tells them this. He says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. They are ripe for harvest. If we see it, I want to tell you, if we see it, we can do something about it. If we see what he sees, we can do something about it. Jesus told them that. You don't see what I'm seeing. You don't see what I'm seeing. They had spiritual nearsightedness. Where they could, they could just see in their sphere what's around them, but they couldn't see anything greater than that. So the question is, how do we see 
How do we see beyond the spiritual nearsightedness? This is the question. How do you know, how do I know if I have spiritual nearsightedness? If God answered, this is how we know, if God answered all my prayers, would it change the world or just change me? If all your prayers were answered, would it impact other people or would it, or would it just impact you? So I want to challenge us this morning. Let's open our eyes. Open your eyes. And I want to just share three quick things. And I'll move out of your way on how we can do this. Open our eyes. The first is open our eyes to where they are. Open our eyes to where they are. Are we looking for the people that are right around us in our daily encounters? So I'm, I'm talking about when you go to the grocery store and you run into somebody that you haven't run into in forever and they all of a sudden begin to tell you about something that they're going to, through, should I say, something that they are facing, something that they're encountering. Are we capitalizing on that moment and saying, you know what? I want to share someone with you that can help you. They're, they're what we can call divine appointments. If you're open to looking for them, are we constantly being aware of the people that come into our lives that tell us, you know what, my son was just diagnosed with this. And it's a, it's a rough road ahead. Or, or, or I'm facing this at work. Are we looking at those opportunities and are we taking advantage of them and sharing that, that Christ can make a difference. They're all around us. The truth is they're all around us if we're open to looking for them. This is what the Bible says in the book of Psalms. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He is ordering our steps. He is ordering our steps and we are believing that he is going to put the people in front of us that need to hear what we have to share. Proverbs 16, 9 says this, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. We can make all the plans that we want, but it is God the one that, that ordains them. He is the one that determines the steps. Are we conscious of the people around us? Are we making this conscious effort when people share something, that, that we have the opportunity to share Jesus. So I have to open my eyes to where they are in life. Open my eyes to where they are in life and what they're facing. The second thing is this. We need to open our eyes to who they are. We need to open our eyes to who they are. So many people are against each other in the world that we live in today. So many opposing views. So many, so many political parties. So many different stances on this and that. That people are just constantly against each other and attacking each other. 
and we see people as enemies. We see people as enemies, but the truth is that we cannot see them as enemies. Look at what Jesus shows us in Matthew 9, 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Who are they? Are we opening our eyes to who they are in our lives? The story of the Good Samaritan shows us a great example of this because we see this one man who is on his way from point A to point B, and on the road he gets beaten. On the road he gets, he gets everything taken away from him. And here is this man, one man that was looked at in different perspectives. The thieves saw him as someone that they could exploit, someone that they could take. They saw him as prey. The priests saw him as a problem to avoid, but the good Samaritan saw him as a person to love. Same person, three different perspectives. I'm gonna, can I tell you that there's always going to be people that we don't agree with. There's going to be people that we don't see eye to eye with, but at the end of the day, we have to see them how Jesus sees them. And we aren't better than them because we think different. They aren't better than us because they think different. We're all created by the same maker. The, so when you look at the Good Samaritan, here you have this one man. Once again, and I'll just say, the thieves saw him as someone to exploit. The priest saw him as a problem to avoid. But the Good Samaritan stepped into his life and saw him as a person to love. How are we seeing the people around us? Are we seeing them as people to love? Or are we seeing them as an enemy? Are we seeing them as, as someone that is against us? What is your perspective? What is your perspective of the people around us? Can I tell you that we have to see them as people to love? We have to tell them, we have to see them as people to love. So I'll say it this way, to change our world, we don't have to be like them. I'm not asking you to change your perspective or to change, to change, your, to change your opinion, should I say, or to change your stance. I'm not asking, we don't have to be like them, but we do have to like them. I'm going to ask you, we do have to like them. And the last thing is this. We have to open our eyes to what they need. We have to know where they are. We have to know who they are. And we have to know what they need. And this is where a lot of confusion currently is is built up in the church world. You're asking, what are you talking about? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because we, you have the truth side that says this is the truth. And the people in the church world that will say, we're right, you're wrong, you're going to hell. That's the truth side. And then on the, on the other side, you have the grace side. You have people that will say, it doesn't matter. You can live whatever kind of life. Jesus, actually, it does matter. But, but they'll say, it doesn't matter. Jesus loves you. And Jesus does love you. 
But the Bible also says, should we continue in sin so that grace would abound? Paul says, absolutely not. So you have the people on one side saying, this is the truth, and if you don't get on board, I'm sorry for you. And then you have people that say, this, this is the grace. And the truth is that, that we are saved by grace. Amen? We are saved by grace. It's a free gift. Jesus did pay it all. But we can't, can I tell you that we can't be on any extremes. That, that truth, can I say this, that truth without grace is mean. But that grace without truth is meaningless. But that if you put them together, grace and truth, you have good medicine. Because you know what? I have to love people before I can correct people. I have to show them that I care. I have to show them that I love them. You put them together and you have good medicine. And can I tell you that we need them both. They are both important. This is what John said. Watch in John 1, 14. The word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory for the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. Full of what? Grace and truth. Grace and and truth. Grace and truth. And notice that grace is first. So, so what does this look like? What does this look like in our lives? Jesus, let's look at Jesus. So Jesus encounters this, this short little man named Zacchaeus. For all of you that went to Sunday school, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. So here is this man, it's in Luke chapter 19, and Jesus knows, because he knows every detail, he knows that this man is a crook, he knows he's a thief, he knows that he is, he is a chief tax collector who has ripped off people left and right, and, and Jesus sees him on this sycamore tree, and his first words to him were, hey, you want to go to lunch? It wasn't get down from that tree, you, you short little thief, all of which was true. And he could have said that, but how many know Zacchaeus would have never been saved? Because he, was not a he would have been attacked. But, but Jesus sees him in, with all his mistakes and all the, the, the baggage that he has in his life. And he says, hey, get down from that tree because I got to have, I, I got to be in your house tonight. And, and unfortunately, the, the Bible doesn't record the, the, the meal that they shared. But the Bible does tell us that Zacchaeus came out of that meal and he was giving up to four times. Four times what he had taken from people. Wouldn't you have loved to have been in that lunch? Just to hear what took place. But here's the thing. The father, Jesus, Jesus approaches him with grace. And he says, hey, I just, I just want to sit at the table with you. I, just, I know your life isn't perfect, but I want to sit at the table with you. I know you've made some mistakes, but I want to sit at the table with you. Because you know what, Zacchaeus, you're not 
that far gone for me. And some of us here today, Jesus is calling us out of a tree and saying, hey, you know what, we, we have, we're just looking at him from afar, but he's saying, hey, you know what, you don't have to look at me from a distance. You can have a conversation with me. You can have communion with me. You can have fellowship with me. I'm glad that, that he sees my mistakes, but he still calls me and says, hey, come on. I, I have something for you. I have, I have a life that you haven't even wrapped your mind around. I, I have peace that surpasses all understanding. I, I have a joy that is unspeakable and that will be your strength. <laughs> and I, I, have, I have so many great things to show you, Zacchaeus. But, but before I tell you what, what is going on in your life, I want you to know that I love you. Come down. It was grace. First and then truth. It was grace first and then truth. Worship team, will you join me? In John chapter 8. One more example. A woman is caught in adultery. And they put her in front of the crowd. And they bring her out. And the religious, the religious folks that thought that they stumped Jesus on that day. Particularly the Bible says they were trying to trap him. They brought her out. And they throw her on the ground. And they say, doesn't the law of Moses say that she should be stoned. And technically they were right. Technically they were right. And Jesus never contradicts his word. So the Bible tells us takes a moment and he comes down to the ground one translation says this that he stooped down and he wrote in the sand and we don't know what he wrote and you could speculate but he just began to write in the sand but can I just stop and say that I'm grateful for a God who sees me at my lowest can I just tell you that I'm grateful for a God who says, if you're on the ground, I'm on the ground with you. Can I just tell you I'm grateful for a God that says, when you're down and out, I will be right by your side. I'm grateful for a God that came down 40 in two generations because what you and I couldn't accomplish on our own, he sent his son to die on a cross. He, he came down to where we were at. He came down to where we were at and he stooped down to our level and he died a sinner's death for you and for me because he loves us that much. And I'm grateful that even today in the low moments of my life and in the low points, I serve a God who says, I'm with you always. I'm with you always. And he got down on the ground. Didn't, didn't contradict himself, didn't say any of that, but he said, you know what, you're right. But how about this? How about 
he who has no sin, throw the first stone. Crowd thinned out real quick. One by one, they left. And all of a sudden, like, the woman opens her eyes. Jesus looks at her and says, who's left? Who has condemned you? And Jesus looks at her. The woman responds and says, no one. And this is what Jesus said. He said, neither do I. That's grace. But then watch what he says. He didn't, he didn't stop it right there. He said, now go and sin no more. That's truth. He said, I don't condemn you. I'm grateful that there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. That walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. I'm grateful for his word that encourages us. He says, I don't, I'm not condemning you, but I'm going to share some truth with you also. Go and sin no more. Grace and truth. So to change our world, we need to show people the same kind of love that God shows us. And that is an unconditional love. We're, on a, we're a church on a mission that need to see how Jesus sees. That can impact the way Jesus impacts. My final story is Dr. John Maxwell, if you're familiar with him, he's wrote some incredible books on leadership. And um, he, he's a, a preacher. And when he started writing on leadership, a lot of it just started being grasped by the secular world. And this Dr. Maxwell will speak in front of thousands of crowds, um, Fortune 500 companies, and they bring him in to speak on leadership. And, it, and this is something that many people don't know if, if you've never really done uh, some research on John Maxwell. So I'll share, I'll share it with you in just a few moments. After he gets done talking about just the irrefutable laws of leadership and all, the, all that he has to share in his content, he, he gets ready to dismiss the crowds. He gets re ready to dismiss everyone and he says, if you would like to come back and hear me share my faith in 15 minutes, I invite you to just take a quick break and come back and I'm gonna share with you in 15 minutes. And 90%, about 90% of the people come back. And it's incredible because what he shares is, he says, the reason why we don't come to Jesus and the reason why we don't accept him is because we have the wrong perspective of God. The wrong perspective of God. And he shares these four things and I'll give you the one and a half minute version. And it, he says, people see God as a locked gate. They see him, but he's not accessible. He can't be reached. So a lot of people just say, you know what? I, I can never do it because I can never get close to him. It's, it's impossible. The next one is some people see God as a garbage can. 
in the, that, that is their view of God in, in the sense that God doesn't want me. I've been through too much. I've sinned way too much for God to love someone like me. And because of that, people don't come to him. The third is they see God as an endless ladder. That it's just constantly working. That God requires a lot of time from me. That God requires a lot of work. That I have to do a whole lot. Can I tell you, we don't have to do a whole lot. We get to do a whole lot. But, it, but it's not by works. Paul said it's, we're saved by grace and grace alone. It's not by works so that no one would be able to boast about it. So no one could say, you know what, look at what I do. No, it's not that. But people have that, that perception of God that it just requires so much. And I can't do it. But then the, the last perspective is he, he shares is the right perspective. As a, they see God, they see Jesus as a free gift. As a free gift. And that is the right view of God that he loves you. He, he loves you. With an incredible love that some of us in this place he is chasing down today. Some of us in this place may have been running from him. No, not physically. I'm talking about emotionally and spiritually. And you have, you have just created some distance between you and God. And you're running from him. But he loves you. That he is pursuing you today. He is chasing after you today. And he's coming after you. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you in this moment. Thank you that you love us with an incredible love. Thank you that you love us when we're unlovable. Lord, in this moment, would you change us? Would you work in us that we would be able to see how you see? that we would be able to have the right perspective, that we would be able to have the right perspective today, that we would be changed like never before, that we would be able to do an incredible work for you, that you would be glorified and that you would be lifted up in our lives. And Father, I pray right now in this moment for anyone in this place that is being drawn to you, that you're calling, that you're coming after God. Maybe they have, maybe someone in this place hasn't had the right perspective of you and we've gone about things all wrong, but God, in this moment, you're calling us. You're calling to change. You're calling to give new hope, to give new life to give new vision. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you in this moment, you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never given your heart to him and, and really accepted him as your Lord and as your savior. 
I want to invite you with every head bowed, every eye closed, just raise your hand right where you're at. We want to pray with you this morning. We want to pray with you this morning and just believe that your greatest days are ahead of you. Amen. I see you. Would you say this, would everyone at the sound of my voice, please say this prayer with me. Lord, I admit, I am a sinner and I need you. I believe you are Jesus who died for the sins of this world. I confess you as Lord, as Savior, and King of my life. Fill me with your spirit. Change my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Could we put our hands together for everyone that received Jesus this morning?